1: Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Ready? One good shirt On till we gone What we say hey, You know we back on our J-O Tell me how can I say no Whatever we say goes Oh, I tell him. Hey, you've got a <laughs> rest his long neck Ah, there we go Oh we got some big news here at Spooko this week. Shag, 39 years old, not 40 years old, has been elevated to creative director. It's a win for all of us. We've all been part of the journey. Shag, starting off as a humble podcast (laughs) co-host, CD before 40. It's happened. It's there. We're back on our J.O. How are you feeling, Gooey?
0: Peach, I am feeling amazing. Thank you. And it feels... Weird to follow your news last week with my news It was completely unplanned But I think one of the things we've realised from doing this show Mm. Is how in sync we are And clearly our careers are on the exact same track That our thoughts about capitalism are in Spooko
1: Well, it's a funny thing. The more disillusioned you become with capitalism, (laughs) the more apparently (laughs) valuable to the very system you're becoming disillusioned with, you become. (laughs) So it gets exciting. So what we're going to do today, because it's a bit of a special treat to have your time, is we're going to sort of dive into it. And it's a really big achievement that we're not going to let go unacknowledged. Um, So if Spooko is about setting goals and overcoming them, you set your goal of CD before 40 and you overcame that. And look, I think we in the Spooko fam, the Spooko community can accept most of the credit for that. I think we were probably fundamental in getting you there. So you're welcome. So it's our victory too. <laughs> so anyone listening to this, we did it. We say, hey, yo, we are back on our J-O. Um, so what I thought I'd do, Gooey, was sort of talk about creativity and talk about the role. Um, so... I've done a bit of research, and what I've found is that it's essential, and I'm citing, who am I citing here? Some watery website that's trying to sell me something shit. I'm citing Forbes, Forbes Forbes.com, which I presume is essentially just a uh, SEO sucking pile of nonsense. Uh, uh, if,
0: if you are just tuning in right now and mm. you're new to the podcast, we are a podcast about getting Peach over his fear of scary oh, yeah, movies. Yeah. But please allow this digression, Peach, as you were.
1: Yes, no, sorry. That 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 is so, <laughs> and that is right. So for for creative directors, it is essential. So this isn't this isn't an optional. It is essential mm. that creative directors. Have stellar communication skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might remember we had an argument about who had better communication skills. <laughs> Sounds like yours are stellar, so I think I have to cede that one to you. Uh, have to have presentation and problem-solving skills. Well, as someone who talks on my feet in court, I think I'm pretty, you know, in a pretty good position to judge, and so is Forbes, and Forbes have judged you as having that. And project management skills too.
0: Mm. Oh, man. I'm the, man like
1: you bring it up with Forbes uh, like I'm just <laughs> don't shoot the messenger here so look, look what, we're, what Shag you're essentially doing as I understand is running a team of creative people who interact with a team of marketing business development people and so the other team does the strategy and you sort of do the implementation how are we going to achieve these marketing goals in the market essentially is what I feel like you do so that, even, even that itself sounds a bit wishy-washy. So what I decided to do was take a look through some of the most celebrated creative directors in history and just to get some of your views on them, Shag. So we're going to start with... Uh, if you hop into the chat, so don't look at this yet, Shag. I'll send it over to you. We're going to start today with John, with John Webster from the famous agency of Bose Massimi Pollitt, the old uh, BMP. And he has been described as the perfect example of the uh expert creative director uh he's english and he was the best tv commercials creators guided tv in britain when britain was the best in the world so what they're saying is he is the best of the best and so i thought shag now that you're all of our favorite creative director and we're on this journey with you I might sort of take you to one of the most celebrated examples of John Webster's creativity. And we might just sort of tic-tac and go a bit back and forth with you. So if you can head through, please, and just click the link in the chat there. You can leave the volume on so we can enjoy it with you. When your old girl starts talking And she won't give it a risk If you want more They to have a on exhibition in the tape. You like it. A lovely pint best. Rabbit, 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 yeah, yeah, And rabbit, so rabbit. if I can summarize what you've just watched, Shag, I think it's an ad it's an ad for beer where we've got our bloke, our hero, walking down the street with his fucking wife and his fucking mum talking to each other. And as you might hear in the song, there's a bit that goes yummy, 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 blip, blip, blip and that is the two women in his life talking to each other and he escapes them and goes and has a beer and it's all going well until they come back and interrupt him in the pub and go, yummy, 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 bleh, bleh, bleh. Shag, what is it about that ad that makes it one of the greatest pieces of creativity uh, in your field?
0: I want to I wanna take a step back for a second and say, obviously, first of all, Peach and the Spooko community, thanks for elevating me to a creative director. It's, it's a weird position in that there's no uh, there's no real training, I guess. I mean, there is, but there's not, like, you don't do a course for four years and then you pass a bar exam and then you're creative. Direct- it doesn't kind of work like that. And anyone can call themselves a creative director. And, in fact, there are heaps of people on social media who are like, I'm a photographer and a model and a creative director. And it's like, there's nothing <laughs> to say that they're not because, sure, like, <laughs> you, you are. But it's nice to be promoted to that. So, yes, to your example in question, so... The creative, I guess the creative side of the ad industry historically is very male and very white. And so up until it was like fashionable and good business to be woke, it was very unwoke and very like anti-woman and very like, oh, uh, like every sort of ad was like, oh, can you believe women still talk about dumb stuff? <laughs> oh, if you need a break and you're, a re- you know, it's that sort of yeah. shit, right? Like that, that was very common. And, you know, we're still common sort of 10, 20 years ago and still sort of sneaks in. Now it's swung the other way to the point where every ad you can almost like, and I, like I don't make TV ads that, you know, and we call them TVCs, but I don't make TV ads because I'm in a below the line agency, which means I'm digital and connect marketing and, you know, internet and all that sort and social and all those sorts of things. But what's funny is like everything in the world they react to the wrong way so people are like hang on you guys need to be woke and instead of, being like, instead of being like hey maybe we need to diversify our teams it's still lots of white men making ads but they're like fuck we need the most diverse cast in this ad as possible and that's why and like I'm sorry if this sounds really fucked but you'll see pretty much on every Australian TVC made this year or last year if you have a family every single family member is from a different nationality background like every single, somehow, I don't know how that happens but every single one is because you know in the brief of that ad they were like we need a diverse (laughs) cast and people only see diverse at the most literal level which is like everybody needs to look different.
1: Yeah, we need a whole palette of skin colours, like it always feels like they're like ticking boxes, like do we have someone with very dark skin and then medium dark skin and it's like I'm not sure that's what diversity is dude. Like
0: literally when's the last time you saw an ad with a couple that was two white people. It's never happened. And yet, and yet racism and structural racism hasn't been solved in Australia. I don't know why.
1: Well, that's the legacy of John Webster, right? And so (laughs) let's just leave that there. And I thought we will visit one more creative director to sort of change tack a bit. Now, this is a creative director who Charles Saatchi of Saatchi and Saatchi credits with sort of being the influence on him. Uh, without this guy, without Colin Millwood, I would still be delivering groceries in Willesden. He's saying this is the guy who got him into it. So, Shag Charles Saatchi, he's a prominent creative director who people would know from pop culture, broadly speaking. This is the guy who, he says, one of the most creative... uh, Sorry, one of the most influential and great creative directors of all time. Uh, We are going to watch an ad now from Colin Millwood for the product Cinzano.
0: I never know it was pronounced Cinzano. There you go. Your Cinzano Bianco, signora.
1: Thank you. Ah, yes, gracias. Ah, do, eh? No, 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 no. no my a Cinzano as well. Ah, oh, that's better. Uh. Oh, can't you just smell those Italian wines, suffused yes, with herbs and spices from, spices from four continents. Con- oh, i being boring. Oops, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. All right. So I think we get the picture. Right. These are bit. these are the ads yeah. one of the most influential creative directors of all time has said and, and, and there are about nine of them in a row of a gormless English toff with a very beautiful wife, Joan Collins, who's like, Oh, I'll have a chinzano. Whoops, I spelled it all over you And Shag this is the height of twentieth century creative direction as far as I could find in my research. So I'm really excited to see how we can fight the patriarchy and dismantle what came before. So the path is laid out for you.
0: Well, I think the other thing you're proving is the fact that, and, you know, something that we very much believe in at Spooko is, Mm. you know, at the end of the day, your legacy isn't the things you make. It's the... Uh, I guess the relationships you have and the mark you leave on other people which to me I think is the most important part of being a creative director because what I'm really excited about <sighs> is working in creativity for so long you get to a point where the stress of constantly having to come up with ideas uh, is is kind of, you kind of get over it and you start to realize fuck as I get older younger people, are not only more connected to culture and, you know, what's happening, uh, find it easier to come up with ideas and where my value starts to be is not actually come up with ideas, but is helping other people unleash their own creativity and like manage their own successes. And that is very exciting. And that is the role I'm in right now. Uh, So, Peach, if you need some help with your career, because I know, you know, you're having some success with Coffee and a Case Note, I'm here to help you, you know, unleash your creativity.
1: Oh, and so the broader discourse about 20th century versus 21st century creative directors proves how successful you're going to be because the twist is John Webster and Colin Millwood-style creative directing is no longer the way to success. The way to success is nurturing your team and bringing out their creativity... The twist! Shag, already the greatest creative director on our show. Um, We're probably not going to bring in another creative director with expertise in the Australian... um, ..the the Australian censorship board... uh, ..the Australian classification board. But you're the creative director of all of our hearts. Congrats, Shag. We're all so, so happy for you.
0: Now, I want to do a very swift left turn into thanking an organization we probably don't thank enough which is fbi FBI radio Radio. which is the reason which is the reason we're allowed to podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, they're currently doing a supporter drive. If you don't know about FBI Radio, they're a not-for-profit station in Sydney that punches so far above their weight in terms of culture. Not only have they brought Spooko to the world, but uh, <laughs> they've done some pretty amazing things. You know, people like Flume, people like Kid Leroy, mm-hmm. uh, people like, uh, I'm sorry, but Wolfmother as well, had their first, you know, yeah. or at least some of their first plays on FBI. It's that sort of an amazing podcast. Placed. Dan
1: Silver bought G Flip through FBI first?
0: I believe so. Mm. So, look, if, if you're a fan of Spooko, you know, we don't have a Patreon. We're not asking you to contribute mm. in any way. But if there's some way you'd like to contribute to Spooko, you can by becoming an FBI supporter or slinging FBI donation. I believe they're doing some, like, prizes or stuff at the moment because yep. they're doing a bit of supporter drive. Anyway, head to the website, FBARadio.com. Now, Peach, this is absolutely a podcast about you getting over your fear of horror movies. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to get there. But now I'm a creative director, so I'm an authority on creativity. And I can (laughs) tell you right now... That The way you start projects is not often the way you finish them and something we've discovered, and I think one of the reasons I love horror even more than ever mm. is it's helped us become our true selves and in that is the fact that we are conflicted people who are somewhat successful in a capitalist society mm-hmm. uh, but also very distrustful of it and a bit grossed out by it.
1: I feel like when the revolution comes and they come to our house they'll be like, guys, don't worry, I'm on your side. Don't don't come into my house. It's fine. I'm just let me keep all my stuff here and you know, like I'm like I'm down with it. Like I get it. But just if you could just leave us alone, that'd be really awesome.
0: So as part of my role mm. as a growing, you know, creative force, like mm. I'm trying to do more on LinkedIn. Like I actually really like
1: LinkedIn. It's you the most are killing pop- LinkedIn at the moment. I speak as a genuine authority on LinkedIn. You are killing LinkedIn at the moment.
0: And I really like it because it's one of the more positive social medias. It's not Mm. toxic like Twitter. It's not impossible to get into like
1: TikTok because I just feel like like we're just getting some purchase on Spooko TikTok like 10 months in.
0: (laughs) So, anyway, so I put up a pretty non controversial post the other day because there was this story going around that people kept sharing on LinkedIn, being like, This is so inspirational about uh, the founder of Bumble, which is one of those internet dating sites. Who, at I think at 25, she's now become the youngest female billionaire. And I sort of shared something that was like, Hey, guys. Not, hey, God, I sound like a Twitch streamer, but I was just like, hey, I'm all for inspirational stories, but but stories about how billionaires become billionaires, to me, isn't super inspirational. It's probably more emblematic of a system that's broken, right? Anyway. So on the back of that, yep. an old school friend of ours yep. who I haven't spoken to in like 20 years. And it's
1: not Rob. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. No, no, this isn't, this isn't a weird <laughs> would weird would be if it was Rob. No, this is someone, you know, and we're not going to name because the point is not to name this person.
1: Yeah, they are definitely not but, listing.
0: But sent me a, a DM, so not even on the post, sent me a private message mm-hmm. to first of all accuse me of, in their direct words, yes. spout Marxist propaganda and then said that ideas that I were talking about were dangerous and would lead to millions dying in famines and gulags. That's not... <laughs> That is did that. I, is, did I miss that? You missed because that because I saw a
1: screenshot
0: of yeah, some, yeah. There was, and I didn't see that. There was a reply and it was really full on, right? And so, and I'm sorry to this person if you are listening because yes, obviously I shared it with everybody. What were you expecting? <laughs> yeah, of
1: course, of course. But,
0: <laughs> but okay, so so my first reaction to it mm. was, whoa, that's a bit of an overreaction, mm. right? Like that was my first reaction. Mm. Second reaction was, lol, that is hilarious. But then the final reaction, which is sitting with me today, and I promise is leading to today's film, Mm. is, wow, like, this person actually sounds a little bit afraid of the cultural shift that's happening at the moment. And actually kind of, you know, we joke about the fact that people will be at our door ready to take our heads off. And I'm only semi-joking yep, because exactly. I do think th- the haves and the have-nots are growing so far apart. Like, something's got to give at yep. some point, right? And, uh, like, while we can kind of accept it... Did and you get you know, a pay
1: rise, by the way? just no, while no, we're no, no I didn't topic. get a pay rise. Okay. I not get a pay rise. End of financial year, hopefully. Yeah. Um,
0: uh... But...
1: Just while but, we're on the haves and have-nots. Sorry, it's why I... It's, it's why I raised. Oh, it. oh,
0: completely, completely, right? <laughs> and so... I think this person seems genuinely afraid of what's coming. And it kind of made me realize Mm. that hyper-privilege and hyper-wealth they're actually prisons and they're a curse unto yep. themselves, right? Yep. And you're forced to be constantly looking over your shoulder. You're forced to constantly both justifying it in your head and being worried about other people trying to take it because the only way you can get hyper-privilege and hyper-wealth is by taking it from the labour of other people. And that is me spouting Marxist
1: <laughs> propaganda. Uh, uh, like the, so if I can give you the devil's advocate on that, like I basically mm. agree... I think there's a tiny space for saying if you've increased the sum of human happy, like I think, I think there is possibly a uh, possibility for synergy. So if we use the Facebook example, right, Facebook didn't exist versus Facebook existing has, has made, um, if we take the example of Mark Zuckerberg, uh, a really substantial amount of money. And I think it's also fair to say it has increased the sum of human happiness. You know, I'm still connected to acquaintances around the place. So I feel like it's not merely a person who has control of others and extracts their labor. And again, we are not pro-Facebook. But if I'm speaking fairly, I think I do say that there are some synergies around in the marketplace that are genuine. So I'm going to play devil's advocate to that. Um, No, you're playing Angel's Advocate on that because I was playing Devil's Advocate. I'm going to play Angel's Advocate here
0: because the the idea that one person makes something is meaningless. There's There's a thing in advertising where people are like, I've won all these awards and it's like, you're a dickhead 30 people worked on that from the client who had a problem to the strategist who looked at it and saw an insight to the creative who you know had a thought shared it with the creative director you know it's like look at a building who made the building was it the person who funded it was it the architect was it the engineer was it the builder or was it all of those people who should all probably share in the success of it
1: so like this, this is the other thing I was going to comment about with your elevation, right? So w- when you think about technology and innovation, there's this sort of thing about the myth of the sole inventor, like no one's sort of sitting around and goes, oh, kaboom, I'll make a better airplane. The fact is the best airplane engineers are work- innovating a plan, innovating a plan, innovating a plan, innovating a plan. That started off with, you know, started off, quote, quote, with the Wright brothers and everyone's tinkering around the edges with it. And there's this great economics essay of the 1950s called I Pencil. And it's this sort of lighthearted essay told from the point of view of a pencil that sort of says, hey, what I am is wood with some paint, some rubber on the end with some graphite in the middle. How I was made was these logs were cut down by a lumberjack. The lumberjack, before getting started in the morning, had to have a cup cup of coffee. And even me, who understands how to make a pencil, couldn't ever do it without this complex supply chain of all these different things coming together. So the myth of the sole inventor, I was going to raise with you in a creative context, wondering if the myth of the god of advertising who comes up with the beer ad that says, how bad and annoying are our wives and mothers-in-law strikes me as a myth that has no real value and I think is supportive of your argument and I hope you agree because now you're a creative director. Peach, bitch, completely.
0: I just want to dwell on that idea of privilege and wealth being a curse because today's Mm. film literally is about privilege and wealth being a curse and the fact that when the retribution comes, there will be no mercy. And so... This is a horror comedy, probably a very dark comedy to the person who sent me that DM. But today we are doing a film from 2019 called Ready or Not.
1: It's a vision of the future, DM.
0: I can't believe that in half an hour, I will be a part of the Lodomas Gaming Dynasty Empire.
1: Uh, Dominion, we prefer Dominion. I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family. There's just one more thing, and then you are officially part of the family. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family.
0: A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. No, thank you. Good luck. I know you're in here
1: founder oh my god fuck your fucking family
0: you're just another sacrifice
1: Ah! Ah! do you think this is a fucking game Ah! yes i didn't see remember uh uh okay okay You need a disclosure, right? Disclosure is, I listened to the Too Scary Didn't Watch version of this film. I just watched the preview. Cast is insane. Cinematography is insane. Production design is insane. Andy McDowell, 11 out of 10, most charismatic person I've ever seen. Uh, This, like I'm super amped for, may well be the first horror film I ever watch. Shag, can't wait to go over this plot. Yes, yes, yes would love to watch this movie and hear you talk about it.
0: That is something we need to chat about, the cast. The cast is so good. First of all, Samara Weaving, Australian actor who is on the up and up. Mm. And she, you know, she's like 10, 15 years younger than us. <laughs> she's already been in like a million films, including the Daniel Radcliffe horror comedy yeah. vehicle Guns Akimbo. She was in The Babysitter. She was in Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. She's done her time. She has paid her dues and she's starting to really shine up and, you know, scores some amazing lead roles like this one Uh, adam brody who yeah the oc yeah like the oc but also jennifer's body amazing role in jennifer's body proving himself as a horror comedy god and also andy mcdowell look real talk andy mcdowell so much respect i think you're right she's very charismatic but to me she is the eric banner of america in that Anytime she puts on any accent, whether it's English, American, Australian, whatever, I just don't believe it. Anytime I hear Eric Bannon's, even if he's doing an Australian accent, it doesn't like when he does an American accent, it doesn't sound right. When he does an Australian accent, it doesn't sound right. Like I don't, understand, and for me, Andy McDowell is exactly the same.
1: Is she not doing a Deep South accent, her actual accent in this? W-
0: whatever it is, it doesn't sound real. Oh, you're just like, no. you're an actor. Like, I feel like Andy McDowell, to me, is when you go to see a play, mm. and they come to the stage, and they're like, I am this character, and <laughs> you know that, like, it's fake, but they're putting on their play voice, and you're like, I'm, this is a play, and this oh, is prestigious. Yeah. I mean, that's what she sounds like in every role.
1: They also have the bad guy from Mission Impossible 1, who, I'm so <laughs> glad, because I feel like is criminally under like <laughs> underutilized. I see him and I'm like, ooh, look out for this guy. Ooh, he's a bit of a dodgy kind of a guy. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. This is easily my favorite film I've ever seen.
0: I, I, would, I would actually say as well, like, you know, if you are going along this journey with Peach and you're also starting to get keen to watch horror films, mm. this is a great one to start because it has some pretty tense moments, it has some very gross moments that we will get to, but it's also incredibly enjoyable and funny as hell. And I'm not going to spoil all the jokes because Wikipedia is not very good at retelling (laughs) jokes of plots. (laughs) So lucky for you, Mm. you know, you'll know when the scares are, you'll know when to close your eyes, but you'll still be able to enjoy Ready or Not from 2019. Peach, are you ready?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad this is the first spook I've had a Resha's long neck with for maybe a year or so. I've had a couple of Resha's cans over the most recent year, but pre-COVID I haven't had a Resha's long neck. And this was a gift from a Spooko fan, I should say. Count Backyella from TikTok. Count Backyella, what's up? Keep those heavy squats going. Keep those heavy deadlifts going. Love to see it. Thank you very, very kindly for the kind, kind gift.
0: And before we get into it, two more things. Number one, Peach, as a, not just a Resha's connoisseur, but a beer Mm. connoisseur, Mm. does beer taste or feel better from a long neck or bottle rather than a can
1: such a good question i think marginally better from a bottle but there are so many pros for a can that i'm very comfortable being a pro can person i like the theater of a long neck you know i like the size of a long neck but i think if you were to hold my head and say across the board every single attribute i think cans edge bottles but i'm very much enjoying this bottle
0: and finally a couple of days ago on the Spooko Insta, I asked people to share with me what their favourite kind of horror movie deaths are. Mm. And I said no kink-shaming because I realised, you know, when oh. I was going back oh, over yeah. this film, there, there's a type of horror movie death that I can't quite describe, uh, that, that I'm just very attracted to. It kind of reminds me, and I'm not saying this is a sexual thing, but do you remember when you were a kid and you, you haven't quite you know discovered your sexuality yet, but there are things you're attracted to and you can't quite work out why. So in the same way, there are deaths in horror movies where I'm like, ooh, I really li- I don't know why I like that. Like, that's gross, but that's pretty cool. And I hope I see more of those. We're going to get to my favourites, which happen in this film. Mm. And I'm also going to share some of the best from the Insta as well. No names, because we don't kink shame on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> we have some really great favourite deaths as well. Yeah. So lots to happen, but let's kick straight into Ready or Not from 2019. Starts with um, a flashback to the 80s. And as a child, Daniel LeDumas is confronted in his family's mansion, and it's a proper old school privilege intergenerational wealth mansion. And he's confronted in this by a wounded man who has an arrow through his chest and... Again, one of my favourite recent horror tropes. Arrows are not PG devices. They are disc—they tear flesh. They create really gross, jagged wounds. And in this case, this man has a lot of blood and this arrow sticking out of him. Yep. And this guy pleads in for help, but instead this kid's like, he's in here! And shouts out to the rest of the house, at which point a whole bunch of hidden figures wearing ceremonial massive robes arrive. Uh, one of them shoots him again with what looks like a bit of a spear gun slash crossbow and then by these men and we assume they're men in robes and hoods is dragged into a locked room. Now 30 years later Daniel's brother Alex who runs the successful Le Demasse Family Games Company and when we say games they're like Hasbro or... I can't think of another really Milton famous game. Milton Bradley Milton,
1: Springs One, but I'm it's, it's if I'm Mil- making that up. Yeah,
0: it's effectively Milton. It's a fictional Milton and Bradley, mm. and so all their games are like Duopoly and you <laughs> know, like Thirsty Thirsty. <laughs> the rhinos. game of
1: living. What's kind of cool. <laughs> what that Thirsty Thirsty giraffes, did you say?
0: <laughs> um, so anyway, mm. uh, so. He runs the successful Le Damas family games company and he's set to marry Grace, a former foster child. And I think, you know, this, this movie is not, subtle in its satire. Mm. You know, and it's really important that sh- this this character, Samara Weaving's character really does come from nothing and not in the sort of Drake Kanye thing where it's like, yes, absolutely. Growing up in a single parent household would be tough, but with a stable job in a suburban place you were kind of safe. Like yep. it's not like she's a proper foster child, you know, really come from nothing styles, marrying someone at the height of
1: well, unearned privilege. privilege really. yep.
0: On her wedding day, Grace meets the La Damases. Daniel and his snobbish...
1: Shit, fucking hell. He hasn't met them. No,
0: no, no. So Daniel and his snobbish wife, Charity. Alex's cocaine-addicted sister, Emily. Her oafish husband, Fitch. And their young sons, Georgie and Gabe. Alex's unpleasant aunt, Helene, who's the scary woman from the trailer. And his parents, Tony and Becky.
1: You have given the best advice to any improv show or improv actors before... Which was about, I think Ryan Stiles was his name. And Ryan Stiles, and you, you compared him to Colin Fuck Around, right? <laughs> uh, and Colin Fuck Around, whenever he was given a role of like, you're a tomato on Mars, he'd be like, oh shit, oh, boobs, tits, fucking, oh my tomato dick is wing, tomato wee, oh yeah, shit. And so he, he'd just try to m- make it. You, you know, an extreme thing and say something to get a, a very cheap laugh. Like, I just got to stand Shag and I'm grateful for it. And you compared him to who you think is the strongest character on the Who's Line Is It Anyway bench, which I think is Ryan Thingo, the tall guy who was in the Drew Carey show.
0: Ryan Stiles, yeah, you're right.
1: And I think what you said was um, he does the exact opposite of that. Um, what he does is think about, all right, I'm a tomato on Mars and gets into character of what a tomato on Mars would be doing and then tries to just... React to what's going on, and similarly here, I think what we've got is just the most amazing like cast of characters. You know, we've got a great, a great cast of actors, and then a great list of characters of like the oafish brother and the dickhead sister-in-law. Like, I, 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 I'm, I think I might have to watch this movie. I'm, I'm excited already. Peach, I
0: want you to watch this movie, and if you're listening and you're like, this sounds sick. You can either keep listening to the episode. Like, there's some cool stuff coming. Oh, yes.
1: Spoiler alert, I guess. Yeah, maybe get out of it and go and go watch it.
0: But then come back and listen yeah. to this episode.
1: Dick, dick, tits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, you're back. Let's go into yep. this. So after the ceremony, so they get married, you know, mm. and there's there's some elements of tension all the way through and... Alex is kind of like, do you really want to marry me? This is your last chance to get out of my family. Like, my family's not all as it seems. And she's like, shut up. It's fine. And there's this element of, like, there's, there's a graveness to it mm. that she's just like, well, that's just rich people. Mm. Like, that's just how they are. That, that creates this tension building up to it. And it's, it's just a really well-made intro to this film. So after the ceremony, Tony explains his ancestor Victor Le Damas, made a deal with a man n- named Lebal to build the Le Damas fortune in exchange for the family observing a tradition. Every new member draws a game card from Lebal's oh, sorry Lebal, not Lebal, but every every new member draws a game card from Lebal's puzzle box. And you know, new member. So if someone essentially marries into the family, basically,
1: or a baby. Presumably.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what's... In fact, that's not really explained. Okay. But I guess so, right? And what's really cool about this is this is another one of my favourite horror tropes, which is the idea of a scary box. So yeah, okay. it's just a small wooden box with some etchings on the side. But somehow, through the fiction of the film, becomes like the scariest, coolest, creepiest thing.
1: I have... Uh, become so innate, like capitalism is so in me these days that I'm like, this isn't a satire of capitalism because the free market would decide which board games are successful. (laughs) This is a satire (laughs) of feudal, uh, you know, of like military juntas and (laughs) systems of royal family. So it's okay to continue with our capitalist ways. So that's how indoctrinated (laughs) I am in capitalism.
0: (laughs) Now, they're told there's a number of different games they can draw, mm. and Grace just happens to draw hide-and-seek. Now, when she draws this, there's a bit of a, like, hush over oh, the room, and she's yeah. like, lol, like, what? What did I do? And they're like, no, nothing. We've now got to play hide-and-seek. You've just got to go hide. And she's like, okay, cool. Now, when she hides, the butler, who is very much the accomplice, and, you know, the Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained character, puts on a spoon old 30s record that's like you better hide you better hide a cheek i'm coming to get you you know, you know what you know exactly what i mean
1: right was it part of the deal with mr Baal or Bale that they had to under disclose it <laughs> like because they could have said it's hide and seek and we will kill you if we find you <laughs> like is there something in the rules where they're not allowed to say that because i feel like that would be like i'd be like oh fuck okay you know, like, and that's like that's the end of the movie, of course, if that happens. But I feel like that's all they need to say, and and I suspect it's not explained that Mr. Bar's like, don't tell anyone the rules, but they have to play the game.
0: That's actually a really good point because if the whole point is he's created this curse. So you can have a games empire, and the curse is around a game. Surely it's really important that every single player of the games knows the rules. Like that is rule one of playing a game.
1: So match fixing in cricket in the nineties, right? The line, like the line is, um, what is sport if not everyone is striving to win? Right. So if you and I are competing, I'm striving to win, and you're just actually taking it a bit easy. Then, and, and then, then you put gambling in the background, and here you can say the stakes are even higher than gambling. If one party is striving to win and understands the rules and the other party don't even know the rules, how can it be said that you're indeed playing a game? I think that's the sole time I'll make this criticism because I think it undermines the entire movie. But let's just assume somewhere Mr. Bale said and don't explain the rules to them.
0: So Grace goes and hides in a waiter. Mm. The rest of the family receive their old-timey weapons. I think part of the deal as well is they have to hunt her with old-timey weapons. So like, you know, an axe, a crossbow, an old sort of muskety-looking gun. And, and Alex, the now husband of Grace, Runs into the, like the sort of secret tunnels to go and find her because he has a bit of a change of heart and he's like, I didn't expect you to draw hide and seek now that you have. I really don't want to go through
1: with this. I'm uh, he safe. was hoping for fucking noughts and crosses and exactly. Uh, duh, 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 and if uh, it was uh,
0: that, they would, you know, the implication is any other game would have been fine. They would have played a fucking game of snakes and ladders, which I fucking hate because there's no skill at all. And so, like, there's literally oh, no skill in snakes and, snakes and ladders.
1: ladders. Worst game, it's basically yeah. like it's basically learning addition and subtraction, I think. That's solely what it's for, I think. Of course. Of course. But it sucks because you're pissed off. Again, <laughs> this is like the criticism of Monopoly that I think we raised 60 Monopoly episodes sucks. ago. Monopoly yeah.
0: is way too weighted in luck's favor.
1: Exactly. Like Belinda Marsh, partner of Makinson D'Apici Lawyers, good law firm, go to her for good property stuff. She's good in charities, NFPs as well. She has this line of like, Monopoly plays itself. Yeah. Which I think is such a good line. You just roll the dice and you're like, oh, fuck, I guess that's what's happening. You know? Yeah. Off you go.
0: Yeah, what am I not going to buy this property I just landed exactly. on? Exactly. It's
1: just you just go on autopilot, roll the dice, see what you're going to do. Roll the dice, see what you're going to do. Oh,
0: now I'm out of money. I can't buy this property. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, yep. Yeah, cool.
1: Yep. Fuck Monopoly. That's, <laughs> that, we've really got to get we are really going to take down Monopoly on this podcast.
0: Now, Grace gets bored of waiting in the dumbwaiter. So she makes her way to the bedroom where Alex finds her.
1: <clears throat> I'm actually probably going to get irritated you're not going to get bored. Like if she had been told you will be killed if you're found.
0: Exactly. Right. She would have fallen exactly. asleep
1: in there or just fucking whipped out of the Kindle app on her phone and just been like, Oh, fucking okay. And
0: that's the tension, right? And it's quite clever because the tension is you're like, fucking take this seriously, Grace. And she's like, I'm bored. I'm going to go to the bedroom. Yep. Anyway, Alex finds her and he's like, you have to hide behind the bed. And she's like, lol, why? Anyway, at that point- and he
1: doesn't answer lol. Why? He's not like, they will kill you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry.
0: So, well, it's probably that thing where it's like he's a bit embarrassed of his family. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, oh yeah, let's just let's just survive Ooh. tonight and it'll be fine.
0: And then I'll explain. <laughs> so anyway, one of the maids comes in, and Grace is about to say something, and she's shot in the face by one of the other La Damases. And this is this is the moment where you're like, oh fuck, this is actually a horror movie because. She could have been shot anywhere. Being shot in the face is pretty gross. And she falls to the ground. And Grace is like, what the fuck? And Alex is like, yep, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try and get you out of this house.
1: Is that one of those funny deaths like in one of the French new wave cinemas where the guy where there's like a knock on the door, the guy answers it and whoever just shoots the shit out of him straight away and you sort of half laugh?
0: It is, it is a very successful horror comedy because they make these really gross deaths very funny. Like they are funny, funny moments, but they are also grotesque with really good like gore and viscera effects.
1: I, I think this is the film, like, you, you know, as I said before, I have a Drake syllabus, right? People are like, I hate Drake. I'm like, yeah, don't worry, fucking I've got to play you six songs and give you a week between each and then you love Drake. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, fucking whatever. Um, I feel like for like a horror movie syllabus. This, this might be film one mm. or film two. Like, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm having fun.
0: Now, at this point, Alex reveals that his family is cursed and if they fail to win the game, they will die at dawn hide and seek requires the family to kill the newcomer before dawn it was last played by Helene's husband now Helene's the scary aunt Uh, uh, but also the the man at the start of the film who's hunted yep with the mansion locked down Alex disables the security system to allow grace to escape She is discovered by Daniel, who is Adam Brody, who is the brother. And he's also a bit disillusioned by the game. So he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to give you a little bit of a head start. So it's kind of cool in the way that like there's no, like people show flashes of humanity, but the only actual good person is Samara Weaving's character, is Grace. Like everybody else shows flashes of humanity, but they're never blameless. So instead of being like, I'm going to help you, he's like, look, no, but I'm part of this family, so I'm going to give you a head start and then I'm going to tell everyone that I just saw you. Now, at that point... (laughs) they all come to this room to be like, fuck, you had her and you let her go. And then one of the Lamassas kills another maid with a okay. arrow through the mouth and because no one knows how to use a crossbow. And there's a really fun moment where they have to YouTube a how-to-use-a-crossbow sort of tutorial. Like, it's a very clever, funny moment.
1: I think as well it justifies them all dying in the end, which is what I presume happens. Like, it's like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, and, and, despite and- the flashes of humanity, they got to die.
0: Yeah, and and the fact that all of the waitstaff, like, help the family is sort of why you kind of don't mind that they die as well. Like, for example, Grace eventually finds a third maid who... Alerts her to her presence, but then she gets crushed by a dumb waiter, and you're kind of like, "Well, you deserve that because you had a chance to help Grace and you didn't." Which is horror movie logic, right? In my mind, I'm like, "Well, you deserve to die," but I mean, it, it is a hide and seek game to the death.
1: This is how 70s and 80s films were like you had sex, and sex is a <laughs> capital offense, <laughs> so you've got to die.
0: So. Grace, you know, th- there's there's a few um, altercations, you know, with the butler who is a principal bad guy. But she eventually escapes outside, but she's sort of herded into the stables, and of course they have stables, where she finds one of the kids of Adam Brody, Georgie, who she's like, oh, my God, like, because she's being followed by someone, and she's like, oh, my God, but it's one of the kids with a torch, and she's like, oh, my God, thank God, Georgie, you got to help me out of here. Georgie then, like, just no chill, raises a pistol and shoots her straight through the hand and again like we, she has a hole in her hand like it's quite uh, a shocking uh, scene it's pretty full on. She's like, fuck you, Georgie, and punches
1: him out. Uh, <laughs> I imagine that's a fun moment in the film. It,
0: it's a really fun moment, <laughs> but because of the altercation, she falls into a cellar in the stables <laughs> where she falls on a whole bunch of decomposing corpses from all the other people who've died from Le Damask games over the years.
1: But I thought, yeah, yeah. I feel like we're led to believe the most recent one happened 30 years ago.
0: Well, I've got a feeling that maybe some of these other games do require people dying. Yeah, okay.
1: Yep, yep, yep. I get it. I'm with you.
0: And it's just it just happens to be this is the version of it that Hide and Seek allows. Yep. Anyway, so she now has a hand with a hole in it and she's down in a cellar with just a ladder to get up. So you can imagine how hard it would be to climb a ladder uh, with, in a wedding dress with one, with hand. one hand, Right. Yeah. So she's climbing up, and then, again, because this is absolutely a horror movie, and they need to remind us that it is a horror movie, as she's climbing up, the camera pans up to reveal a massive exposed nail at the top
1: of the ladder. yep.
0: And you, you, we just we know it's happening that mm-hmm. we're powerless to stop it because she has to get to the top. And when she finally puts her injured hand up at the top, mm-hmm. of course it, you, the wound pierces straight onto that nail, and she screams, mm-hmm. but she makes it out. And what I think's funny about that scene is It's just to show that she goes through hell, basically. Like, it doesn't stop. Like, it doesn't force her back into the hole. It doesn't... It's just a really shitty thing to happen to her. Now, she squeezes her way through the front gate and flags down a motorist who drives off. And she's just like... I think she has a line maybe at this point where she's like, oh, my God, fuck rich people. Just to hammer home the point they're trying to make in this film. She's pursued by the butler, Stevens, She eventually in his car. She eventually fights him off and steals the car. But then hilariously, she uses the cars like, I, I've never heard of this, but it, this car has some sort of like push button alert sequence to be like, hello, I need some help. And the push button's like, you're not the owner of this car. This car must be stolen. I'm deactivating the car now. And she's like, no, I'm being chased by a killer family. And the guy's just like, I'm sorry, I'm just an operator. I can't help you maybe call sort of nine one one. and man. so she's now she's she's stuck back outside in the woods without a car in a very remote place because this is like a, this is like a manor in some sort of countryside somewhere in i guess like the hamptons or so i don't i don't know what mm. fancy places in america are but one of those places
1: pennsylvania i want to say not that i know anything about it
0: now stevens catches up with her in the in the forest. And now he subdues Grace with a tranquilizer gun, but she awakens and attacks him, uh, leading the car to crash and killing Stevens. At this point, Daniel, Adam Brody, then tracks down and captures Grace. And we think he's going to help her, but I think he has this moment where he's like, at the end of the day, I'm part of this family. And I'm, I'm going to
1: die you. if we don't kill her. Yeah. Basically. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so she wakes up on a table, sort of pinned down classic Satan table. Everyone's wearing hoods, although there's a really funny moment. In fact, no, I'm not going to give away all the jokes. Watch it. There's some great jokes in there where they're all in robes. They're all chanting Latin and they're passing a ceremonial cup around as she's pinned to the table and she's like, help me, help me, help me. Um, And, you know, I think the dad raises a knife. They're about to ceremonially sacrifice her when they all start vomiting. And it turns out that Daniel had laced the cup with a non-lethal dose of hydrochloric acid because he did have a change of heart. Daniel tries to help her escape, but one of the other Ludomases shoots Daniel dead. Grace disarms and pistol whips her. She bludgeons Tony, the dad, with a lantern, sets the mansion on fire, but is attacked by one of the others, whom she beats to death with a Lebail's box. So there's this, there's absolute chaos ensues she eventually almost escapes, Mm. but Alex, who is her husband realizes that
1: he will, she
0: actually wants to break free. And I I think basically realizes, you know, in his mind that she wants to break free. She doesn't want to be part of this marriage. And so fuck it. I'm just going to kill her and save myself now. Mm. So they had to kill her before the sun rises and Grace breaks free just as the sun rises. So at this point, the LeDomassa's brace for death, but nothing happens. So they believe they're safe and they decide, well, fuck it, we're just going to kill Grace anyway because she can't know what's happened, right? Now, at this point, I'm just going to stop mm. and uh, I'm going to share with you some of our listeners' favorite types of horror movie deaths. Yes. So, first of all, are we bad... about to have
1: a death that aroused you, Shag? I feel like we no, are.
0: Like, it's not a. Ra- like, I don't know how to describe it. It's a just a. horrifying,
1: you know, excited. You know, yeah. It need not be a sexual arousal.
0: Yeah, but exactly. It's, it's mm. an arousal of some kind. Mm. So, uh, mode of demise, bad man getting killed via his junk. I'm a traditionalist. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Falling off a great height or moving object. Not too graphic, but still cringeworthy. He's uh, a good one. Staggering back into a crowded room with a knife in their back. I love this one. Uh, Shout out, Luke. Decapitation off the top of my head.
1: Off the top of the dome.
0: A couple of people with, you know, stab through the eye stuff or the old thumb through the eyes. I love this one too. Weird shit that shows anatomy like lung wings in Midsummer. (laughs) My favorite, and I don't know why, but when people explode into a cloud of like blood and gas. I don't, I don't know why, okay. and I, I don't want to see like a rib cage flying through the air. You have to uh, essentially be disintegrated, but there still has to be a big splatter of blood on the wall or the people around you, right? So, as they're about to kill Grace one by one, and this is funny as hell, but also disgusting, the Damasas all blow up but the best part about it is they blow up one by one so one by one they're like it's coming to me I have to plead I have to feel bad but I just know it's going to happen even the kids do it luckily they do it off screen so we don't have to see that but my god it is disgusting and it is hilarious now the the, the last one to die is her husband she takes off the ring to say I want a divorce which I think saves her he then explodes we cut to the fireplace where a vision of La Bale briefly appears and sort of just gives a like, like a salute to That's Grace. That's really yeah, okay. <laughs> she walks out of the house covered in blood, sits on the steps, lights a cigarette as firemen, ambulance, police all arrive at the scene. That is the end of Ready or Not. Peach, what did you think?
1: Uh, I, I think more and more that it's a very gentle intro into the horror Mm. Yeah, the horror franchise. It's a very happy ending, which I think as well is likely to leave everyone undisturbed. Essentially, it's Die Hard.
0: I mean, look, any ending where Andy McDowell explodes (laughs) into a cloud of gore can't be the happiest ending.
1: But, but... (laughs) (laughs) I think this is... I don't know if this is a criticism of it or a compliment to it. This is the film I, I think almost literally of any other that I'd be most likely to watch. Loved hearing about it. Loved my Rasha's long neck. You've creatively directed me towards this film. <laughs> Jake, your triumphs are our triumphs. We love being a part of your life and your professional career and your social time too. We love you, Gooey. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Reshes, What's up? i up.